Thank you for being here. We've been in this series called Over the Top. Yeah, there you go. It's going to be a wrapping sermon this morning. I'm going to bust out a little beatbox and freestyling for you uh, this morning. You guys like that first song? It was a little Tennessee style for you. We have Devin on the banjo. That was awesome. Love that. I was slapping my knee up here. But we've been in a series called God Is. It's been exploring some of the attributes of God. This is not in any way intended to do an exhaustive study. We, we look at week one, God is merciful, actually, God is holy, this week, God is sovereign. And those are big kind of umbrella terms that describe who God is. And, and you could, you know, really, if you, if you dug in Scripture and you just looked at even like a, 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 a concordance and you look at the word merciful or holy, you would see tons of scriptures. Lots that you could do. You could do a series on each one of these attributes. That's what we're going to do um, with this series. We're just going to take a glimpse um, at some of these attributes, why they're important to us, why they are personal to us, why it's important for us to see God in these ways, um, and, and, and for us to marvel at Him and worship at Him and honor Him. And, and again, I pray that it stirs up our love and affection for Jesus more and more, and that we will be greater devoted to Him. And uh, again, so there, these are some of these attributes and so much more than what we will cover. Uh, and I said this at the onset, reminding us that when we look at the attributes of God, He doesn't step out of one to be another. He doesn't he doesn't step out. He is love, but he doesn't step away from love. And then, and then he's justice. He's both love and justice. Does that make sense? He's both merciful and righteous. And so we can't try to make him just sit and just kind of throw out this umbrella and say, "Well, God is love, and therefore He wouldn't do this or that." We need to be very careful what we're saying God can or cannot do. We can't make him fit into a God box of our own design. And that's the trouble with us, with us in our humanity. Our, our tendency is to try to create a Jesus of our own making. And then we find out and we maybe take the box and we realize he was never in there to begin with. And we need to repent and say, okay, you're calling the stuff and I'm not. His ways are unsearchable. We're going to look at that passage in a moment. But he does want to reveal more and more of himself because he deeply loves each one of us. Isn't that a great thought, isn't that good news that He loves us and He does want us to know Him greater. And so today's message, God is sovereign. And with that, and we're going to look at God's sovereignty, He is also very personal. God is sovereign, yet He is very personal. We're not, as I said, we're not going to do an exhaustive study on what it means for God to be sovereign, but I do hope that when we look at His sovereignty, we trust Him in greater ways that He is in control of all things. We're told in Hebrews that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that which can't be shaken will remain. What we're told that can't be shaken is the kingdom of God, right? The name of Christ, He is the one that cannot be shaken. In a world that other things shape around us, it is good to hold on to those things that can't be shaken, those things that bring us greater Trust and clarity, kind of like the political system. Just kidding. Are you awake? Are you awake? Isn't it interesting the day and age that we're living in politically? I've heard some older people that have voted many, 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 many elections that have never seen anything like this. 
Is God in control of all that? You better believe it. What does it mean for that God is sovereign? Let's look at that. <clears throat> sovereignty means this, the word sovereignty, when we look at what does it mean, is ultimate supreme power and authority. And so through Scripture, this, this kind of paragraph that I'm going to read here is the encompasses of what it means for God to be sovereign. God being sovereign means He is in complete and ultimate control over something, everything. He has the right to do anything according to His own will. He acts with complete freedom without external control. Nobody's telling God what He's going to do or not do. Nothing and no one controls Him or tells Him what to do. He is infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, self-sufficient, in need of nothing or no one. He is the one and only King and rules and reigns over all the universe. Might drop, leave the building, right? That's it. But I'm not leaving the building. i got more to say. God is in a league all of His own. He's the boss. He's subject to no one. Again, our temptation as the created, we are the created, He's the creator, is to try to understand Him and explain Him in human terms or as it compares to us. And so we have to step back and let God define God. Where do we let that happen? Where do we search His Word? His Word tells us who He is. And also, the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. And so it's through the Word and the Spirit that we, are, that, that we allow God to define God. What He says of Himself, and then we align to that. We don't align Him with us. We align to Him. Always. God isn't a character in our story. Right? We are characters in His story. It's very important for us to remember that. Sometimes we can make God a character that I'm living my life, I'm the king of my own universe, and yeah, I like that cool guy Jesus over there. He's a part of my story. No. No, 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 no. We are the characters. This is His story. In His sovereignty, He is infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, self-sufficient. Again, you read all of that. He gave nothingness formation. The universe runs because of His rule. You guys have heard that. Um, you know, if, it, if we were one degree closer to the sun, we would incinerate. One degree farther away, we would freeze to death, right? Everything runs in order by God's design. It's all running in order. And so He, he, he is supreme and sovereign over the universe, all of the galaxies, everything. And then He's also sovereign over our innermost being. Psalm 139, He created the most intricate parts of our innermost being that our cells and our atoms and everything runs as it's supposed to because of God's sovereign rule. We see His hand in the vastness of creation and the universe, but we also see His hand in the personal potter touching and making us and molding us into who He has created us to be. He is sovereign and yet He is personal. And right now, we need this word more than ever. Now, I'm going to just pause for a moment and just talk about the political thing that we're in. Because it's a mess, if you haven't recognized that. 
But is God sovereign over all of that? Absolutely, He is. It's biblical that He's sovereign. The Bible says He will promote one and He will demote another by His grace and by His sovereignty. Right? It says that the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. The Lord is not in His hand. And we can see that through Scripture that God sovereignly, and if you're tracking along in the one year Bible right now, you're in the book of Jeremiah where He is groaning to the people because they are going, getting ready to be sent off. They're getting ready to be captive by Babylon. They're getting ready to be exiled. The Babylon's getting ready to take over. And here was the word of the Lord. Don't try to fight against Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. His sovereign grace is that you're going to be captured. That is my word for you. You're going to be captured. Don't fight them. No, there were times to fight, but you've been disobedient and sinful, and because of the consequences, you're going to be captive. This is the will of the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule over you. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most wicked men in all of history. And yet it was God's perfect sovereign will that the people of Israel, some of them, would come and be under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. But then it didn't take too long that we see that who was in control, Nebuchadnezzar or God? Just read the story. At one point, Nebuchadnezzar for seven years ate grass like an animal because God humbled him. And guess what his declaration was after that? There's only one God in the name of The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. God can do whatever God wants to do. And the in Christianity, and I'm not saying we, we need to vote, we need to be prayerful more than ever. We need to pray. We absolutely need to pray for this nation. And pray for those who are running our country. But we also need to pray in the sense of saying that our answer is not in a political system, friends. If that's never been more clear, watch the news. Our answer is not in a political party to somehow rescue us and, and, and lead us into the promised land. Our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, so our kingdom is not of this world. Yes, we should pray. We should be a part of the process. We should vote, but we need to do it prayerfully. And we need to ask the Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done because God can do whatever He wants to do with that, whoever leads this country. And on the other side of the election, you need to be praying more and more whoever's leading this country. Because we're told in the Scripture, pray for those who govern over you. Because God can do whatever God wants to do. And yes, there are consequences to what we as people do. I'm going to get into that in a moment. And so sometimes God will allow you, just like He did with Israel, He will allow someone to rule over you that may not be that great. Because a lot of times He's saying, get your eyes on me and not them. Because it has been a tendency, especially for conservative Christians, is if we get the right person in office, we take this big sigh of relief and say, no, we can all relax. No, we can't. The answer's not in a political system. That was my commercial. More of that later. Let's look at the scriptures, and again, if you look at God as sovereign scriptures, you're going, to, you're going to find hundreds, and I encourage you if that's something you want to do, look at those, but let's just look at a few. Psalm 103.19, let these scriptures, again, wash over you. If you want to write them down, meditate on them. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Psalm 103.19, David says, the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over 
everything. Psalm 42, or 47, verse 2 and 7, 8, For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. For God is the King over all the earth. Praise Him with a song. God reigns. He is sovereign above the nations, sitting on His holy throne. Let's go to the next one. Carrie will recognize the first one. It's one of my favorite passages of all time. Psalm 153. God is in His heavens and He does what He pleases. He's not asking what you think. And I love Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You've heard me quote this, but from the Message Bible, it says, I don't think the way you think. This is God speaking. I don't think the way you think. The way you work is just the way I work. So important for us to get that in our heart. Whereas the sky for high of the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. Now that's not again not God. That, that is God saying, "Here's me and here's you." But also take great hope and confidence and trust that God is in control. Right? It's to stir up our devotion, our affection to Him in greater ways that He's in control. So we should take heart. The revelation should help our hearts walk in greater humility because I think humility is one of the greatest keys to getting understanding the kingdom of God and walking with Jesus. That He is God and I am not. These passages make very clear that I'm not going to fit Him and define Him into a God of my own making. And so I'm so, so thankful for the power of the sovereignty, but what does it mean to us personally that God is sovereign? So I want to take a look at that, too, because it speaks to our hearts. It speaks to the next one, Colossians. Boom, Colossians 1, 16-17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus comes and He's revealing who God is. He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme or sovereign over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. And then here's the sentence. Everything was created through Him and what? For Him. It's all His. That includes me and you. Everything was created through Him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Isn't that good news? And then this is the passage I've been talking about that I quote a little bit, but Romans 11. Here's Paul. Paul breaks out into a song in Romans 11. He said, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. Jim touched in on this a little bit in the psalm that he read earlier. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. So Paul is echoing Isaiah. It's impossible for us to completely like, work the depth of God's knowledge. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? In other words, what, he, what Paul is dealing with is that we should not treat him and try to compare him to us or make him something that we're thinking of how we operate. And then verse 36, for everything comes from him 
and exists by His power and is intended for what? His glory. All glory to Him forever and ever. So you take these two passages that everything, including you and me, were created for Him and through Him to bring Him glory and honor. You were created the chief purpose of man, the chief purpose of us being on earth, why you're here is to bring God glory and honor. Every human being on planet earth is created for him and by him to bring him glory and honor. And so that, okay, we look at these passages and we talk about the vastness and the personal part of sovereignty, but then there's always those questions on God's sovereignty, right? And I don't want to just blow past and not look at that. People say, well, what about, if that's true, what about free will and predestination? Okay, we're not going to unpack that today. you got six weeks, maybe we can talk about that. Free will versus predestination. This very topic has caused the greatest theologians on planet Earth in history and currently great theologians, great minds, way smarter than me, that can't agree on this. And that's why you see division in, uh, where, where denominations are birthed and go separate ways. Because what about free will? What about predestination? If God is so sovereign over all things, aren't we simply just doing everything that He wills? Aren't we just like a bunch of robots? Then why pray? Okay, so after all, whatever will be, will be. Why do anything? Why is there evil and suffering if He is in control? Let me just say this. Some of these answers will never, ever get satisfied in an earthly way or understood in an earthly way. And so what our part is this. Instead of just trying to always live with those questions as we have to approach them in humility as the created. And that's why His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so... There is this level of saying, I will never, ever get that. And that's why some of the greatest theologians in the world that have lived in history can't agree on where one begins and the other ends. And if they can't get it all figured out, we probably won't. But here's the thing. We can say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I don't get all your ways. And so that's a great way. That's what Paul is saying in this passage. I don't get all your ways, but I want to live to your glory. And so we... We approach them from a bottom-up point of view as opposed to a top-down. What do I mean that, by that? It's from the bottom looking up and saying, although I don't understand, I trust that you're in control, as opposed to me being up top and saying, what are you doing? Well, if I were up there, then I wouldn't do this or that. If I were God, I would do this or that. And our temptation, again, is we put ourselves on the throne and say that we could do a better job than God. It doesn't work. Suffering and bad things, they are a result of brokenness. We live in a broken, fallen world. I did a whole series last year on, on suffering. And I'm not going to get I'm not going to get into the depth of that, but we live in a fallen, broken world because of sinfulness. 
and brokenness was a result. Everything, when God did it, it was good. Everything operated. He said, I my creation. I remember when he was creating Genesis, he saw that it was good. Everything was good. Everything was flowing as it should be. The word good was not just, again, that, well, that tastes good or that's good. It was, the word there is, everything is flowing and, 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 and it's in order as it should be. And God said, when he said it, he created animals, many and ultimate, that ultimately created people in his image to bring him glory. He said it's, they are as they should be. But then in his sovereignty, he gave them the gift of free will because he said, I want them to choose me. I'm not going to force them. And so in his sovereignty, he can do that and we understand that sin came, brokenness, and then everything was not as it should be. It was fractured. And so because of sin, Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He said, the earth even wrong waiting to be made right again. We groan. So Paul deals with the, the baptism to creation groans, and that's why you have earthquakes and storms. And it seems to be getting more intense. Jesus said, as the, the end of the age comes, these things will get worse and worse. We see this horrible storm that's hitting the East Coast, and we walk through this over and over again. Some people walk through earthquakes, and there's famine across the world. It is a fractured world because of sinfulness. And so Paul says, the earth groans and we groan. And we're waiting to be made right again. Thank God this is not the final thing. Aren't you glad? You look in the mirror and you can always take hope and say, that's not the final finished product. Praise God. Because we age, we groan, and there's decay, there's death, and ultimately we die from this earth. But then... We all wait in the anticipation that expectation that Paul says is with we're waiting for Christ to return. He's going to make things right again. He's going to make things right again. And that is good news. But until he comes, we live in brokenness. And so then then what we say is, well, how can that brokenness and God's sovereignty work together? Is that God did something about the brokenness. He didn't just say, well, you guys broke it. Good luck. See how you like it. He did something about it. And this is the great awesomeness, the beauty, the personal part of God who sent Jesus. That's what separates Christianity from all of the religions of the world. All the other religions of the world, it's always trying to morally achieve to get there, to get to get somehow whatever the higher power is, to get his... his you know, love and to earn it and to morally try to get and, and you know, just, just reaching. And God says, you can't reach this high, so I'm sending my son to you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. And so when Christ came, he did make things right for spiritually, right? That we would have a way to be made right spiritually, that we could be free and walk in salvation as we give our lives to us again. God would not force us to Christianity and following Christ and see come, follow me. I'm not going to, you will follow me. He didn't grab the disciples by the neck and say, you're following me. Angels smack them around and make them follow me. He says, follow me. And then as we follow him, we give him our lives. He makes us right spiritually. So, in all the 
all the, even in the midst of all the brokenness, we can be made right spiritually. We can be made right before God. He can take this broken person who has a sin nature, who has a painful past, who has regrets and mistakes, and He can make that all right in my heart. And one day He will return and He will make all the other stuff right too. And the earth will be as it should be again. He will remove sin. And death will be no more. So Jesus came and God did something about it. He came, He set us right, He died on the cross and He rose again. Isn't that good news? But in, even in this time, God can redeem through His sovereignty what is going on even in the brokenness. He has sovereign, sovereign rule even over our brokenness. He can redeem spiritually. And so why does God allow it? Now, there is an allowance of God. And if you were here during the suffering, we began our suffering series interviewing Tim and Allie Turhorse, who was here, and many of you know the story, if you are not, if you're newer with us, we interviewed this precious couple, loves Jesus, they had a little baby girl, healthy, doing well, at four months, she, they were, I mean, it, it, it was just a tragic thing, no, no, no cry or things, she just begins to ask names and something's going, she begins to cry, and, and then they, they, they're trying to figure out what's wrong, she hasn't been sick, they go in the room, and they go from an evening where they have family, she's being, you know, baptized, slash dedicated the next day, they go from this beautiful moment to being at the hospital that night saying, your daughter is gone. And it opened up this vast thing for them of saying, why? What? How? Right? We had them here. Many of you heard their interview and their testimony. You know, and they didn't come up with a bunch of great answers. In fact, Allie said, the suffering is a holy mystery that we won't ever get the sight of heaven. Is God sovereign over those because there are scriptures to support predestination and free will. They can coexist. They aren't mutually exclusive. God in His sovereignty, again, gave us stewardship. He gave us managerial duties, right? We are called stewards. That's why at the end of the age, we stand before the Lord and say, Jesus said, He will say to those who are faithful, well and done, good and faithful servant, well, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, or good and faithful manager, steward, that you were faithful with what I gave you. There's been a wrong doctrine that says this, that God gave man complete control and authority and dominion. Then through sin, we gave it to the devil the devil has now complete dominion, and then we're through Christ, we're trying to take it back. That's wrong doctrine. That has infected the church. God never gave man complete control and dominion. It was stewardship, management. Some dominion in a stewardship level. But we were managers, not we were never owners. It's like, again, I've used this analogy before. If you go to a store, there is a store manager. Sometimes, I guess, the store manager can be the store owner, but more, more, more likely the store manager has been hired by the owner 
And then the store manager is to run the store as the owner says. The owner says, here's how it is to be done. Here's how it's to be run. Here are the parameters in which you are to run the store. Now, there is a certain level as a manager, that, that there's a certain level of authority that you do have, but you don't have complete authority. Everything runs within the parameters of how the owner wants the store to run. And again, that's a little bit of an analogy to give you a little idea of how God gives us life. He says, you, you, I'm, I'm, in your life, I give you a little bit of, of managerial, I'm giving you stewardship responsibilities, but you're not the owner. You don't have complete authority. We can't just do whatever we want outside of the parameters. And that's why... God gives us the parameters, and when we break out the parameters, it's called sinfulness. And it's not, again, what God is trying to say, I want to ruin your fun and your joy. He's saying, I want best for you, and in the parameters is the greatest source of freedom. But He is the definer. He is the creator. He's the one that gave us life, and He says, I will, I will tell you what integrity and character is. I will tell you what marriage is or isn't. You don't get to define that. You don't get to all of a sudden change the rules. It was in the parameter of the way the owner, God, the supreme sovereign ruler of the universe says it, it is. And so if we get outside the parameters, we suffer the consequences. And again, that gives me greater trust in the Lord. I've heard people say this, where we can go out and we can look at a storm and command it to stop. We don't have that kind of authority. If you believe that, it's not biblical. It's not biblical that we can command a storm. Now, we can ask and we can say, Lord, please remove that storm. We're asking you in the name of Jesus. We're told to ask and pray. But ultimately, we pray in a place of trust. That was why when Hurricane Katrina devastated Louisiana, they went down there and there was a, um, a, it was a, it was a Christian program and they were interviewing um, this one guy who was a, he's a leader of a Christian um, relief effort down there. And, and they were asking him and they said, you know, some people, because there was, there was a lot of things that were going on in the body of Christ, there were some church leaders that were throwing around, this is God's judgment of New Orleans. Um, and let me say this, can God judge in that way? Yeah, if He decides that He wants to judge in that way, He can, but we better be careful as body of Christ how we throw around that word judgment because Hebrews says judgment begins in the house of God. So we better be very careful how we throw that around. And they asked this guy, he's a Christian leader of a relief ministry, they said, you know, some Christians are saying that this is judgment. What, you know, what would you say about that? He said, you know what, we're here trying to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to those in need. He said, here's what I would say if people are going to say that this is God's judgment. He said, I think God has a bad name. He said, because one of the most wicked parts of New Orleans, this, this city, he said that was one of the places that was up and running first. It was the least damaged of, out of all the areas. And he said, so they're up and running first. And he said, there are churches down here that are doing God's work, that love the community. And he said, these churches are completely gone. So if you're going to go with that, the logical conclusion is that God's aim is bad. Why wouldn't he destroy the wicked if he's going to do that? And he said, what we are seeing is how, he said, here's the good news. We are seeing the body of Christ 
rise up and be salt and light to this community. We're seeing people come to know Jesus because they're hurting and they're reaching out for something to give them hope and we're seeing them come to Christ. And that's how God begins to sovereignly rule over even negative things. He does partner with us in prayer, but we always pray according to His will. Sometimes we will make demands of God, saying He will do this or that, or I will take my authority and tell Him what He's going to do. Uh, he doesn't allow suffering. That's you know, one, one, there's one pastor that says, "Well, God would not allow suffering. That's like child abuse." Now, does He cause it? No. We know the devil is the author of all those bad things. He's the enemy of God. But in sovereignty, God allows it. But you've got to understand that this is like a chessboard. And yes, the, 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 the God will allow the enemy to move. But you know what? It's always checkmate on God's side. Always. In his sovereignty, he always wins, no matter if he, it seems like the enemy might be advancing. And just look at the story of Job. God allowed the enemy to touch Job, but he said, you will work with them parameters, and ultimately, God will be glorified through this. Yes, you will advance, but I will checkmate you every time. So we can't see from an earthly perspective that saying what he will allow or he won't allow. Because if he doesn't allow, then he's not completely sovereign. We pray in humility. We trust him completely. And then that he will answer us for his glory and his honor, because that ultimately that's what it's about. So God gives us stewardship, management, responsibility of our lives under his sovereign will. In that place, we can make free will choices that do have consequences, good or bad. And in his supreme control, he set it up like this. And so then we say, well, why wouldn't he just make us do good? And I would always say that we would probably complain that he didn't give us a choice. Because that's the nature of our hearts. And again, he wanted people who would choose him. He sovereignly set it up like, that way, not make us choose him. What are we doing with what he's given us? This is we are steward, we are managers of our lives, our gifts, our talents. Our abilities, he set the parameters on how to live, we do not. If we do, we become God, and we will face severe consequences for that. Again, I, I love that God is sovereign. That, that brings me to love him and trust him more, that nothing happens by accident, that he didn't overlook anything. That He created me to bring Him glory and honor in every part of my life, in your life, in our relationships, our jobs, our talents, our time, our resources. And so then the question is, what are we doing with what He has given us to bring Him glory or not? God being sovereign helps me to trust and rest in Him and put my hope in Him in greater ways. Now, because this is such a vast topic, we're going to stop here. And I'm going to continue next week. I encourage you to come. Because we're going to explore this idea of God being sovereign. 
But in closing, I want to revisit this passage of Scripture. And with Paul, and then again, this is Romans, and he's somewhat tying in this to Isaiah 55, that how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his way. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay about? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Will you stand with me?